0: You're listening to Monster of the Week with Timothy from Prodium, and this week, beauty is in the eye of the title drop. Because that's right, it's time to talk about Beholders, and I already did the I've got my eye on you joke for Basilisks, and oh no, what am I going to do for Medusas? You could find the Beholder on page 26 of the 5th edition Monster Manual. It is a big five-page spread, which is pretty huge for any monster that's not a dragon. And I would say that the Beholder is probably the most iconic monster in Dungeons & Dragons, which again seems odd for a game called Dungeons & Dragons, right? But dragons can be found in all different types of media from myths to movies to video games, whereas the Beholder is strictly from Dungeons & Dragons. It is a Purely D&D monster, and I think it is the most famous purely D&D monster. In 5th edition, it is a large aberration. It's got 10 eye stalks, a central eye, and like a big toothy maw. It also comes packaged with two other beholder variants a spectator, which is a smaller beholder with four eye stalks, and then a death tyrant, which is an undead beholder that basically looks like a floating skull with kind of like Pink pinpricks where its central eye and its ten eye stalks would be. They're represented by three stat blocks. Of course, so you have your standard beholder, your death tyrant, and your spectator. Each beholder has, of course, a bite attack, and then essentially a big list of different eye rays which you roll randomly on to determine each round which one it uses. Now, both the Beholder and the Eye Tyrant, their central eye, creates sort of an AoE effect. For the Beholder, it's classically an anti-magic cone, whereas the Death Tyrant has like a negative energy cone, where people can't regain hit points and anyone who dies in there becomes a zombie under the Death Tyrant's command. Now, the spectator doesn't have a central eye effect, but it does have a couple of other weird abilities, including the ability to create food and water and like a spell reflection ability for seemingly no reason. Don't worry, we'll get into all that. So, yeah, that's kind of the beholder in concept. This is going to be a big episode as so we have all three monsters to talk about. We will kind of try to bundle them together into one package. But first, we have to talk about the beholder's history in Dungeons and Dragons. <music> So the Beholder is unique because we actually know the name of the person who invented it. It's a game designer named Terry Koontz, who was one of Gary Gygax's players, and he sort of invented the monster in, I think, 1974. It subsequently went on to appear in Greyhawk Supplement No. 1 in 1975, where it appears on the cover in a very derpy, (laughs) like, early Beholder picture. It appears in the first edition Monster Manual pretty much as it appears in fifth edition. All 10, well, 11 I-rays are present, but they have slightly different names. As is tradition, the weird thing about the first edition of Monster Manual entry is that they spend... Tons of time litigating how many hit points the eye stocks have, which implies to me there must have been a lot of called shots back in the day that people were very worried about how hard it was to hit the eye stocks and how much damage they could take and things like that. The Spectator also originates in 1st edition, where it's essentially the same, but it has this enormous entry, like twice as long as it has any right to. It includes the create food and water ability, but it also has a hilarious note that says, obviously this is not an attack. which I love the idea that like they felt the need to print that, that people were using it as an attack. Like, oh, Spectator will create a banana cream pie and blast you in the face with it. Like, do not use this ability as an attack. Now, I got to tell you, in researching Beholders in 2nd Edition, I was horrified by the results. 2nd Edition went hog wild with different kinds of Beholders. They called them Beholder Kin, and they're absolutely the most freaky H.R. Geiger nonsense you have ever seen. There's, like, a hive mother and a director, a lensman, whatever that means, an overseer, an examiner, and a bunch of other variants, and the art is some truly wacky 80s shit. The lensman, in particular, disturbed me the most, because it's essentially sort of like a hulking, sort of like ogre-like biped but with no head, and instead the, like, beholder eye and mouth in its chest? Just, why why does this exist? Who needs this? There's a beholder, like, tree monster with, like, branches and roots. There's a beholder, like, centipede monster. It's absolutely cursed content. Go look it up sometime. Way too many of them. Now, 3rd Edition, thankfully, scaled this way, way, way back, and they kind of returned to the classic Beholder. 3rd Edition also, though, is what introduced us to the Death Tyrant, the Undead Beholder, which in the art looks a lot more kind of like what we would see now from 5th Edition's Zombie Beholder, and less like the kind of floating skull. And frankly, I kind of prefer the floating skull. I think it's a lot neater of a design, so I'm glad they, they kind of revamped it in 5th. And of course, they appear in 4th Edition as well. And that's interesting because it's kind of the beginning of the end of... the save or die effects. Fourth edition is where you start to see things like petrification and death rays get, I wouldn't say nerfed, but kind of like stretched out right? And the Beholder obviously has several of those. So rather than rolling to see whether or not you're instantly petrified, you roll once to see if you are immobilized, and then you roll again to see if you are petrified. That kind of thing. It's like slowly doled out over several turns, which I think is vastly better design and something we see in 5th edition as well. Now, as you would expect, the Beholder is all over the place in different settings, but I mainly want to talk about the most famous Beholder, which is from Forgotten Realms, and that of course is the Xanathar. Xanathar is a crime lord that operates out of Skullport, a kind of like licentious Mosisli that is underneath the city of Waterdeep on the Sword Coast in the Forgotten Realms. It's actually a title that has been held by several different Xanathars over the course of the, the setting's history. Most famously, the current Xanathar, whose real name I believe is Zushax, like Z-U-S-H-A-X-X, because it has to have two X's, Uh, Famously has a goldfish named Silgar that they're kind of obsessed with. Features prominently in the Waterdeep Dragon Heist campaign. I have run that campaign and I've run Xanathar and Silgar and I find them to be one of the best NPCs in a published product that Wizards has put out. I really love the Xenathar, I really love Silgar, and I love the idea of this like megalomaniacal crime lord who is deeply concerned about the fate of his goldfish. An absolute legend in D&D and certainly my favorite beholder. No offense, Sysenix. I love you. Great, and that is the history of the Beholder and the Death Tyrant and the Spectre. Next, we're going to talk about the things we like about the Beholder as it appears in 5th edition. The first thing positive to say about the Beholder is how much I love the randomness of the monster. The eye rays are fun because as an action it can shoot three of them, but you don't choose which three rays it fires, you roll them randomly. You roll a d10 three times and re-roll duplicates. And this is so much fun because round-to-round you too are surprised by how dangerous the encounter is being, right? Like you could roll Charm Ray, Paralyzing Ray, Fear Ray, the three sort of least powerful ones, or you could roll Petrification, Disintegration, Death Ray all in the same round right? So the encounter can be really swingy, and that keeps things very exciting. Everyone kind of knows when the beholder rolls up, what is at stake, right? They know at least three of those rays are some pretty severe stuff. But you can't just be a bastard and constantly use the most powerful rays, you have to kind of just see what happens. It also implies something really fun about the Beholder, that the Beholder doesn't know what its eye rays do, right? That it just kind of shoots them around randomly, which I think is also really fun. Like, you know, for the sake of role-playing, it's got to know what its telekinesis is and things like that. But I think there's something great about the Beholder just like, I don't know how this thing works, pew, 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 just like (laughs) shooting off random rays. One thing I like to do to make it even more fun is I make the players roll the D10 when they're being targeted. Like I say, the Beholder knows the three people it's going to choose, right? Right. But then I make, okay, you roll a d10, you roll a d10, you roll a d10. That way they know how severe of a ray it is, and it's also their fault if they rolled that, right? I like giving them a tiny little share in their own doom. Another thing I love about the Beholder concerns their lore, and it's how paranoid they're presented as being. I think the idea of this, like, megalomaniacal, paranoid aberration is just so much fun to play, because they... On one level, it's very campy and kind of Skeletor, right? And like, ma, my evil plan! But at the same time, they have this, like, alien mind and this alien intelligence, so they would see and reason and think things very differently. So this idea of, like, a crazy narcissistic villain takes on this whole other dimension if it's an alien mind you can't really reason with. They make such excellent villains because they can be both terrifying, particularly because of their eye rays, but also they can be so silly and goofy because they're just inherently a goofy looking monster. We talked about this a little bit with the Mind Flayer, but I love the juxtaposition of a extremely dangerous monster mechanically with just like an absolute cornball Saturday morning cartoon visual, right? It's not trying to be overly serious. It's It knows how goofy it is, and that's really what makes the monster fun, is it could be a deadly TPK party-killing threat, but it is just this <laughs> evil eyeball monster. Magnificent chocolate and peanut butter. I'm going to cheat just a little bit and dip into Xenothars because they really flesh out a lot of the lore there. And they include something that I believe began in 4th edition, but I am absolutely in love with, is this concept of how Beholders reproduce. Because they're these crazy aberrations, they don't mate and they don't bud. They have this crazy power where their dreams can, like, become real if they believe in them enough. And so, because they're so paranoid and obsessed with their own power and fearful of attack from these supposedly jealous rivals coming in from all angles, they sometimes have nightmares about beholders who are more powerful than them. And if they really believe in that nightmare enough, it can make that beholder real. And then the more powerful beholder kills the less powerful beholder, and now there's a more powerful beholder. And it is just absolutely bananas that that's canon, because it's so silly, but also so terrifying and so weird and alien. I just love it. It's it's my favorite thing about Beholders, and it tells you everything you need to know about them conceptually, while also providing some just crazy world building and lore. love that. Excellent 10 out of 10. And then my last favorite thing is something really small and minor as it tends to be. But I love the fact that they naturally float. That seems really silly and pointless. And you would kind of have to read in between the lines to notice this. But if you look at their speed, right, they have zero speed, but 20-foot fly. And then they have hover, which means that, you know, they can just kind of suspend themselves in the air. But they're also immune to being knocked prone. So what this means is that a sleeping or unconscious or dead beholder floats which I just think is the silliest, goofiest nonsense. I love the idea that they literally cannot... Like, they're buoyant. They have, like, a helium bladder or something in there that keeps them afloat the whole time, and I think that is marvelous. Totally a minor detail, and, like, it makes sense mechanically that they can't be an prone or whatever, but I just, <laughs> I think the implication of that is so much sillier and more interesting than just, oh, well, it flies, so it can't fall to the ground. No, it literally can't. You could push it down like a balloon, and a beholder would just shoot back up a couple of inches marvelous great and those are the three things we like about the beholder next we're going to talk about the things we don't like so much and spoiler alert it's mainly about the other types of beholder okay okay here's the part you've been waiting for let's dish let's talk about this beholder behind its back Which is actually very dangerous to do, you know, because they have 11 eyes and plus 12 to perception. So we're going to start kind of broad, and we're going to talk about a concept that is pervasive across all the beholders, and then we're going to tuck in a little bit more specifically. So this is kind of the flip side of the coin I talked about earlier, where I love the paranoia and the megalomania behind a beholder, but what I don't like is an emphasis on their kind of xenophobia and their, like, racial purity, where, according to the lore, at least in 5th edition, each beholder sees themselves as, like, the prime candidate, and any other beholder who has any slight deviation in appearance is considered an abomination and must be killed. Like, it's tricky, because they are alien and they are these monsters, but this idea of advancing, like, racial purity as a concept ooh, is a little weird, a little genocide i I'm not here to say, like, beholders are great, but I think you could focus more on an individual's belief and its own genius and its own power and its own magnificence than necessarily saying, like, oh, because you have... Scales are because you have a tooth out of place, you are an abomination and must be destroyed. Racial purity isn't something I want to read about in my monster entries, that's all. So I think you can keep all the flavor of the Beholder being this megalomaniacal supervillain without necessarily going to the level of, you know, we must create the master Beholder race. You know what I mean? So without that out of the way, let's tuck in more specifically on the things I don't like, and surprise, surprise, it's these two variants of the beholder. I think the beholder itself is actually pretty solid, but once you start to deviate a little bit, I'm not as into it. Well we'll start with the death tyrant. I think conceptually the death tyrant is is rad as hell. Like I love the idea of an undead beholder, and not just a zombified beholder, but specifically like a an intelligent even more powerful version of a Beholder because it's undead. But the concept of it, like reading the lore, it talks about how the Beholder's sleeping mind drifts to places beyond its normal madness, imagining a reality in which it can exist beyond death. When those dreams take hold, the Beholder can transform its flesh sloughing away and leaving a death tyrant behind. So this might seem hypocritical because I love the idea of their reproduction, right? Where they kind of inadvertently create their own destruction. But something about this lore where, like, all a beholder has to do is think about what if I lived forever right? And then it becomes a death tyrant. It seems a little too easy to me. And it just doesn't seem to mesh with a handful of other similar creatures. Like the elephant in the room here, so the death tyrant is just the Draco Lich for beholders. And the thing is, I think that's fine. I don't think they have to have an entirely different origin story. Maybe it's different. Maybe they approach it in a different way. You know, do you really want to give them a phylactery or whatever? I don't know. But the concept of them as literally lich beholders, I just think is stronger and based in the foundations of D&D and requires the beholder to go through some more steps, which if they're constantly scheming and plotting, that seems like an easier leap for me. On a mechanical level, I don't... I don't really understand why it has its own stat block. This monster is identical in almost every way to the Beholder. The Beholder is CR 13, the Death Tyrant is CR 14. It's got all 10 of the same eye rays, it's got the same one legendary action, the only difference is that each eye ray has a DC one point higher from 16 to 17, and that its central eye is not an anti-magic cone, but a negative energy cone. If the Shadow Dragon is going to get a template in the book, I don't understand why Death Tyrant can't get a template. It just doesn't seem like it needs to be its own monster. Listen, if you moved some of the rays around and said it had different rays, okay, that makes sense to me, right? But just saying that it is exactly the same as the Beholder, except it has a different eye ability... I don't know, that's just not that interesting. And then it's also as easy to kill as a regular Beholder, right? Like, the interesting thing about a Lich or a Mummy Lord or a Draco Lich is that reducing it to zero doesn't actually kill it, right? Like, if you're going to make the Lich comparison, it feels like some kind of rejuvenation thing is essential. So I'm not crazy about the Death Tyrant as its own monster, I feel like you either have to swap out some of these eye rays, or simply make it a template you apply to an existing beholder, right? Next we're gonna talk about the Spectator. I think the broad strokes concept of a lower CR beholder variant that players can fight at a lower level is really interesting. But the lore behind the spectator makes no sense to me. It seems to have no connection to the Beholder itself. It's this thing that wizards can summon to protect their vaults, and it, you know, stays there for 101 years, and then after that time, it's free. And over the course of its 101 years, it slowly develops these kind of, like, quirky madness things. That's fine, but again, it is completely disconnected from what a Beholder is, right? Like, in addition to that, it's also got a couple of these really weird sort of nonsensical abilities. It can create food and water for no reason, presumably because it needs to feed itself if it's, like, you know, guarding a tomb or something. But you could just, like, nobody cares about how the spectator feeds itself. You could just say it doesn't eat, right? Like, you don't need that. It seems very strange to make a specific point about it. And then secondly, it's got this spell reflection, which is a cool power, I guess. If it makes a successful save, or a spell attack misses it, it like, redirects the spell. But there's like, no explanation as to why it can do this, and where this ability comes from, or does it have a shield, does it use its eyes, like, it's just not, it's just not explained what the thinking is behind that power. I don't think it's bad, I just think it is completely disconnected from the concept of both the Beholder and of a Tomb Guardian. So I'm not crazy about the spectator and anything more than concept. I feel like there's a better way to approach it. And I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to do one more thing I don't like so much. I don't think that the lair actions or the regional effects are that great for either the Beholder or the Death Tyrant. They both come with them, right? But it's a lot of stuff where, like, the ground becomes slimy, okay, and then the walls of the lair suddenly sprout these, like, tentacles that reach out and try to grab you. One of them is that an eye opens on a solid surface and shoots you. I think that one's actually okay. The regional effects of the Beholder are that people feel like they're being watched. I think that one's great. And also that, like, when the Beholder sleeps, minor warps in reality occur within one mile which means that marks on cave walls might change subtly, or an eerie trinket might appear where none existed before. Harmless slime might coat a statue. It's just like, what? Who cares? No player is going to delve into that or be that interested in it. If it was big changes, it could, like, rearrange the tunnels of its lair or whatever. That's pretty cool. But that's not what it is. It's these, like, completely minor effects that aren't, like, scary. It's just like, oh, a harmless trinket appears. Okay. Like, how could that possibly affect an adventure, right? And the Death Tower has pretty similar ones. It's got the spectral eye opening, which I think is good. I don't love the, the tentacles again. There's one where, like, a bunch of eyes and tentacles appear and, like, which is different from the tentacles reaching out and grabbing you in the sense that, like, it, cr- it makes the area lightly obscured and difficult terrain but that's different from being grabbed, so these are potentially two different, the wall sprout tentacles effects, that you could get on successive rounds, but are mechanically different, like, ugh, get that out of here. And it's nothing to do with being undead either, it's like, why, why tentacles? Tentacles aren't a thing the beholder does, the eye rays are for sure, but not tentacles. And then one of its regional effects is that when a creature hostile to the tyrant and aware of its existence, finishes a long rest within one mile of the of the lair, roll a d20, on a 10 or lower, that creature is subjected to one random eye ray like where does that come from what is the conceit there all of a sudden you just start to petrify it just has nothing to do with being undead and is very random and very corner case and I would do a retool of the lair and regional actions both the beholder and the death tyrant So let's talk about that then. If you're going to improve the Beholder in three different ways, how would you do it? Again, I think the Beholder as itself is remarkably solid. There's not a lot I would do to the base stat block of the Beholder. Maybe I would get rid of some of the racial purity stuff, but that is purely lore. You could literally just like delete that paragraph from the Monster Manual, and it would still run exactly the same. So my emphasis is going to mainly be on the Death Tyrant and the Spectator, I would redesign the Death Tyrant. In thinking about it, a template doesn't make as much sense because you're not really going to apply this template to anything else but a Beholder. So if it's a separate monster, I think that's fine. But then I want these eye rays to be appreciably different. I want Death to have changed the rays in some substantial way. Has it lost some of them? Have some of them become more necromantic? You know, there might be a way to mess around. I don't, I don't know what those would be, but I do think the idea of it being more powerful in some ways, but weaker in other ways is more more interesting across the board than just saying it is 1 CR more powerful. I would also then redesign the spectator as maybe like dream spawn of an original beholder, which is how I've run them in the past. The idea of a beholder when it dreams can potentially make these little spectators. If you want to preserve the idea of a beholder being jealous of and hating other beholders, you could make the point that the spectators are exact copies just miniaturized of the original beholder and that they are like sworn to the beholder that spawned them. So that way they have some origin and some connectivity to an actual beholder. You could even go so far as to say like they can be summoned, like a spellcaster can perform a ritual that allows them to dream a spectator into existence and then they serve them for 101 years, right? It's like hacking into the spectator creation program as a mortal spellcaster, create a spectator to serve you. That way you can kind of have both. You can have the fact that they are like tomb guardians and they go crazy over time, which I think is fine but also still have them connected in some way to the Beholder kind of ecology and mythos. And then, yeah, I think I would go through and I would spice up some of these lair actions and regional effects. To be honest, I'm not 100% certain what I would do with these. Might be something we'd have to workshop in our stream. I think the Beholder's lair actions are better than the Death Tyrant's. It's that tentacle grab that I don't love. And then as far as the Beholder's regional effects... I would want to change that dream one. I think that's cool if you want to play with the idea that their dreams can, like, warp reality, but I would make it more meaningful things, right? They can reshape the terrain around their lair, right? So mountains move and canyons and forests and buildings in the village rearrange, you know, things like that. And you can even play with the idea that, like, the people that live there claim that this has always been this. Yeah, you could almost give it sort of like a Wanda Vision angle where everyone within 1 mile of the lair has no recollection that this happened, but only if you come and go do you realize it, right? I think that the death tyrants ones are pretty yucky. I would I honestly think something simple like summoning a bunch of skeletons or doing something like that, creating more zombies is more interesting than like randomly having these the walls reach out and grab you. Similarly with the regional effects, you know, all dead within a certain distance, animate and come to serve the the death tyrant. That one could work. I would want to check and make sure the Lich doesn't have a similar one. But you know what I mean, something that leans into the undead nature more. This one regional effect about a random eye ray, ugh, baffling. You could even play with the idea of it messing with your dreams. That might actually be an interesting lore thing, is to say that a death tyrant becomes a death tyrant... So that way it can't dream anymore and it can't create its own destruction. That's why they do it. They undergo some ritual to make them undead to stop themselves from dreaming, right? I think that's much cooler. And with that, I think we will close out our episode on Beholders. Again, a great monster, a classic monster. I just think it's kind of hard to iterate on. I'm not a big fan of a lot of its spin-off monsters, the kind of ancillary creations that surround it. I think the Beholder is so good as like a platonic ideal, deviating from that formula too much is a tendency to kind of spoil the soup. Next week, we are talking about yet another favorite monster of mine. I feel like I say this a lot, but I think that's just an indication that, like, monsters are cool, and I like monsters, and I get excited when I talk about them. But this monster next week is the Blight, which will be our first plant monster, I think, and one that has a special place in my heart, like the past five monsters have. Until then, thank you so much for listening, sweet dreams, and happy adventuring. monster of the week is a pro dm production you can follow us on twitter and instagram at xp Series. and if you like the show please consider joining our patreon campaign for one dollar a month you get access not only to early episodes of this show but also to brand new homebrew monsters you can find us at patreon.com slash xp Series. that's the letters x p webseries The music used in this episode was Rainbow Ride and Waves by Azure Flux, licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike Creative Commons license. Check out their work at azureflux.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening!